Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Hello and welcome back once again to Voices in My Head. I am your host as always, Rick Lee James, and I am excited to be bringing to you episode number 43 with my special guest, Roger O'Neill. And I'm going to be bringing you an interview with Roger in just a few moments. Roger is the director of church music and worship programs at Cedarville University. For about the last five years, he's been there heading up that program. And in that five-year time, it has really made some great strides in the area of training young people and, well, really anyone who's interested in leading in worship. And um, actually this year, and now, once again, Worship Leader Magazine overlaps with us, uh, but every year, Worship Leader Magazine does a best of issue. And for 2012, this was Worship Leader Magazine's pick for the top worship program in the country, uh, Cedarville University, under the direction of Dr. Roger O'Neill. So, had a great time spending uh, close to an hour with Roger in his office discussing worship, discussing the next generation of worshipers, and things that are missing in worship today. So, going to be bringing you that interview in just a few minutes from now. It's not really an interview. It wasn't like it was a job or something, but uh, a conversation that we had. And uh, I can't wait to uh, to let you hear that. But as you know, we are right now in the thick of this political season. And I say that with a sigh because I'm just sick of it. I think all of us are. I can't even seem to check email hardly without some political ad popping up. And we've seen less than stellar performances out of our presidential candidates uh, during debates, and uh, and I don't mean because they perform poorly, it's just they're being a bad example. Uh, all this bickering and fighting, uh, may not vote for any of them this year, maybe I'll write in somebody, but all that is to say, I think that they're missing one thing, and I think that, uh, that there's one thing specifically that maybe they need a refresher course on, and uh, my friend Fletch is going to tell you about it. So Fletch, go ahead and take it away and tell us uh, exactly what you think needs to be fixed here in our country. Oh, come on, guys. It's so simple. Maybe you need a refresher course. Hey, it's all ball bearings nowadays. Now, you prepare that Fetzer valve with some uh, three-in-one oil and some gauze pads. And I'm going to need about ten quarts of antifreeze, preferably Prestone. No. Don't make that Quaker state. Wash those windows. They've got filth muck on them. So you heard it here first, folks. Wash those windows. They've got filth and muck on them and ball bearings. Those are the answers. By the way, no copyright infringement is intended as I am not the copyright owner to Fletch. I was just playing that clip and uh, pretty funny stuff, though, if you ask me. So <laughs> maybe that's the answer that's out there. We're moving right along with the podcast today. Uh, we have several things, and uh, this is a, a segment that I don't do all the time on the show but I really just could not uh, keep from it this time because uh, something really brilliant. I, I just want to share something brilliant with you. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's one of the greatest expressions of godly rebuke and grace that maybe I've ever read. And uh, I'm going to share it with you here on Stuff Rick's Like. Stuff. <clears throat> I can't even say it. Stuff Rick Likes. Stuff Rick Likes. 
Well, some of you may know if you follow the headlines, and I, I try not to follow political stuff too much, and this isn't really a political thing as much as it is uh, someone that needed some correcting. I'm not here to, to slam anybody, but I, I don't understand why people listen to the hateful rantings of certain media pundits that are out there, and especially as Christians, I don't know why we would. And all of us need some correcting from time to time, and... Um, and Coulter, most of us have probably heard about this already, and, um, you know, she, I guess, tweeted that Barack Obama uh, was a retard, and uh, which was a, a terrible thing to say about anybody, and uh, I'm not getting um, involved with Republican, Democrat, whatever. I just think it's wrong to go around and, um, and be like that, uh, just calling people those kind of names and things. Well, someone wrote a letter uh, to Miss Colder, and it was one of the most gracious responses to this that you could imagine. I know most people wanted to just give her a piece of her mind and, and go off and tell her how awful she was. And, um, you know, this is just one of the greatest displays of grace that I maybe have ever seen. And he writes in response uh, to her using this very insensitive um, Twitter message that she did. Uh, and, and he says this, he says, Dear Ann Coulter, Come on, Miss Coulter, you aren't dumb and you aren't shallow, so why are you continually using a word like the R word as an insult? I'm a 30-year-old man with Down syndrome who has struggled with the public's perception that an intellectually disabled uh, disability means that I am dumb and shallow. I am not either of those things, but I do process information more slowly than the rest of you. In fact, it has taken me all day to figure out how to respond to your use of the R word last night. I thought first of asking whether you meant to describe the president as someone who was bullied as a child by people like you, but rose above it to find a way to succeed in life as many of my fellow Special Olympians have. Then I wondered if you meant to describe him as someone who has to struggle to be thoughtful about everything he says as everyone else races from one snarky soundbite to the next. Finally, I wondered if you meant to degrade him as someone who is likely to receive bad health care, live in low-grade housing and with very little income, and still manages to see life as a wonderful gift. Because, Miss Coulter, that is who we are, and much more. After I saw your tweet, I realized that you just wanted to belittle the president by linking him to people like me. You assumed that people would understand and accept that being linked to someone like me is an insult and you assumed you could get away with it and still appear on TV. I have to wonder if you considered other hateful words but recoiled from the backlash. Well, Miss Coulter, and society, need to learn that being compared... I'm sorry, he said, well, Miss Coulter, you and society need to learn that being compared to people like me should be considered a badge of honor. No one overcomes more than we do and still loves life so much. Come join us someday at the Special Olympics. See if you can walk away with your heart unchanged. A friend you haven't made yet, John Franklin Stevens, Global Messenger, Special Olympics, Virginia. So, Stuff Rick Likes this week. Um, I just want to say thank you, John Stevens, for that amazing letter, uh, which should remind us all to be more sensitive about our choice of words. And I want to thank you for your courage for writing it and for such a display of grace that you showed 
in writing that. If only we could all respond to those that have heard us with such gracious, loving, and even welcoming words in that way. And it was as if you were saying to her, it's not okay what you said about people like me, but at the same time, you're still welcome to be a part of our fellowship if you'd like it. And that, to me, is one of the most beautiful displays of godly grace that I've ever seen. I want to thank John Franklin Stevens once again for writing that letter. And I want to thank my friend Trip York uh, for sharing that letter. And uh, Trip has been a guest on the podcast in the past and hoping to have him on again. But, uh, man, talk about something praiseworthy and just and something that we should be lifting up in each other. I just can't say enough about those wonderful words. Let it teach us all. God, please help us. Uh, to actually learn how to respond to opponents with grace and with love in the way that this uh, this person did in this letter today. So that's what I wanted to share for that segment and uh, talk about stuff Rick likes. Oh my gosh, beautiful. Um, I, I could not imagine describing... Well, I just can't say anything more about it. Thanks for the letter. It's great, and I hope it will be received in the spirit in which it was sent by Miss Coulter. And Ann Coulter... Um, Please learn from this that words do hurt people, and uh, and words are actually um, sometimes misused. And uh, let's let's use our intelligence, and uh, let's use our our uh, that part of us as humans that's gracious to be better. Uh, and that speaks to all of us, not just Dan Coulter, but for the grace of God go I. Uh, we've all been guilty of those things. So. Well, moving on with just a couple of announcements, and then we're going to get to question of the week, and then right into the interview today. Uh, The DVD, Basement Psalms, is still forthcoming. I had the privilege this week of actually getting to see a first look, or maybe it was a second first look, um, at the DVD. Um, I know before I got to see uh, one short clip, and I'm getting more sent to me all the time of what the video is going to look like. Uh, Media Explosion, you have really out done yourself and um, it it looks great I can't wait to share the new DVD and audio uh, concert with you basement psalms it's 10 new songs all based on the psalms that I wrote and performed just a month ago and uh, it's coming together well so I'm looking forward to being able to share that with you in the near future If by chance you're listening to this podcast before this coming weekend, um, today is the 25th, so I think that'd make it the 27th when I'm going to be playing at New Hope Church here in Springfield, Ohio at 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to be leading about a 30-minute time of worship at the Big Bash of Hope at New Hope Church. And you can go to my website at rickleejames.com. Find out not only about that, but several other places that I'll be playing. And I think this Saturday I'm going to be making a surprise appearance at a place here in town that's having a celebration, and they've invited me to come, and uh, I may be able to stop by for a few minutes, share a couple new songs from the album. Um, So I'm looking forward to that. Let's go on to... Uh, a, a great segment this week, I guess, because I had so many answers. Question of the week. Question of the week. Well, as always, question of the week can be answered on the Voices in My Head, the Rickley James Podcast Facebook page. It can be answered on our Twitter at Voices in My Head P. It can be answered at rickleyjames.com, and it can be answered by phone over at 937-505-0162. And the question for, of the week for this week was, what's the most important thing 
missing from our worship today? Uh, pretty interesting question. I didn't know how many answers we would have, but we have a lot. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading them. And honestly, a good portion of the conversation that I had with Roger O'Neill that you're going to hear in a few minutes is actually answering this question and hearing from his students at Cedarville, people who are studying uh, really the, the next generation of worship leaders, what they had to say about what they feel is missing from our worship today. And guess what? On their list, music and technology didn't even make it on the list. So the things that we usually spend so much time caring about, it's not what people are really perceiving is missing from our worship. Very interesting. You're going to have to hear more about that. But first, here's the answers that you gave for what's the most important thing missing from worship today. I'm literally still getting answers as I'm recording right now. So uh, we'll, we'll see if we get any more as we go on. Brandon Hancock says, Lament, silence, and confession. Sorry, that's three things. Kyle Northrop said, Donuts. That or sincerity, I'm not sure, probably the second one. <laughs> I agree with you, Kyle, and you're not alone in that. That's one of, as a popular answer among the Cedarville students as well, which you will hear as you, as you continue listening. Steve Green, it's always good to have a fellow musician on the phone, and Steve has been a, a friend for many years, and I appreciate him writing in today on this question. Uh, I admire a lot what he has to say about worship, and Steve says, I think there are two important things most missing in many church, uh, many church worship services today. One, our personal Bibles. With so many mainstream and modern church bodies using projectors, many of us don't carry our Bibles with us. I'm guilty too, but nearly always have my iPod with several Bibles installed. In our quest to make worship user-friendly, I feel we've given the impression that studying and reading for ourselves isn't necessary. 2. Personal Testimony It's very easy to sit, listen, and learn from well-educated and insightful preaching and teaching. People in Excuse me. People in large congregations may be intimidated and not willing to speak up to strangers. In large congregations, we simply don't know many because we seldom venture far from our circle of influence or social clique, Sunday school class, home group, or Bible study. If we aren't too embarrassed in large bodies, it seems there isn't time for testimonies, especially if there are two or more services. Um... So yeah, it's it's that's a that's great. Thanks for those two answers, Steve. I really appreciate it. Those are some some good insight there, uh, some of which I wouldn't have thought of. And that's what's great about these answers today. I really feel like people are are giving good solid answers, and they come from a felt need in their worship service. Um, Matthew Cole says in his answer, uh, he says the answer is worship. I'm not trying to be cute here, but what I mean is we have all the pieces but most moments lack the mentality and even discipline of reckless abandon to adoration to make the moment about the triune Godhead, the true object of our gathering and outpouring, and not to use the moment as a means to an end where we walk away and rate the experience on whether or not I like the singing, the sermon, etc. It simply has become a moment to gather under the facade of the divine name while looking for personal gratification, entertainment, a fill-up, etc. Good answer, Matt. Thanks for sharing that. Um, and I, I, I do agree with you on that. I, I think true worship maybe is what's missing from worship. Debbie Jean DePlante. Good to hear from you, Debbie. And she says, um, opening praising God. I think she meant openly praising God, and I agree with that. Kate Barrett, friend of the show, says confession. 
and uh, I, I I agree. I think that's missing a lot in our services today. John and Cin- or Cindy and John Gray says faithful continual prayer forgiveness. Uh, Jerry Kennedy says compassion and non judgment. You know, like Jesus. <laughs> Jeff Pinkleton uh, says Jesus all too often, and uh, feels that Jesus is all too often missing from our services. Very interesting. Brandon Sipes uh, wrote in uh, just moments ago, actually, and said he really likes the confession answer. Feels like um, like that's a good one, and I and I agree. I think there is a lot of confession missing. So uh, that is our our last answer to question of the week today. Um, and I guess I would add to that. I think we're we're truly missing out, maybe on all those things. But one thing I see really really lacking um, is communion. And uh, I, I would love to see our churches go to weekly communion, all of them. And I know that's not necessarily in everyone's tradition, but when you think about the one thing that, you know, Jesus really um, set up for us in his meal and and the thing that's maybe the greatest image of his invitation into his kingdom is this invitation to his table that we get to share in together. Um, I feel like personally we have just uh, pushed that aside and seen it as unimportant or and uh, maybe it's not cool or whatever, but I, I, I feel like, uh, and this, I don't think this is just personally, this comes from a lot of study, but I, I feel like we are missing that invitation to the Lord's table. And I think if we weekly made that our focal point, we might stop focusing on personalities. We might stop focusing on just the music. And, you know, if, if your focus is the Lord's table and what he is offering that day, it really doesn't music. It doesn't matter that the music went bad, or that the sermon was kind of a dud, or that the special music went wrong. Because we're giving people Jesus, and we're receiving Jesus at His table. Uh, and how can you go wrong with that? In spite of all the other things that we tend to focus on. So, that's just this man's opinion. We're going to move on from question of the week. And thank you, everyone, for sharing. Here's your question for next week, and it's another good one because I have Matt Litton, author of Holy Nomad. It's going to be on the show. Who is your favorite nomad-type character from literature or film? There's a lot of good ones to choose from. Is it Mel Gibson and Mad Max? Is it David Carradine and Kung Fu? Is it uh, a number? You Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's uh, oh shoot, what's his name? The guy that played the Incredible Hulk, Bruce Bixby. Maybe it's him playing uh, Banner in the Incredible Hulk, wandering from town to town. Maybe those are your favorite nomads. The answers are infinite. And we'll wait, look forward to hearing your answer next week on the Holy Nomad episode of Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Well, it was a true honor for me uh, this week to sit down with two guys uh, in the same day, and I did a podcast. Two completely different cities, quite a ways apart. Um, one of the conversations I will be bringing today with Dr. Roger O'Neill from Cedarville University here in Ohio, just down the road from me. And the other interview I'm going to be sharing next week, as I just mentioned, with author Matt Litton. Matt was kind enough to uh, invite me into his home, and we sat on his back porch and talked and shared about what we thought God was doing and moving among his people and what it meant to follow God as a holy nomad. So this is kind of a... Uh, 
it, it was a it was a good but long day of recording podcasts, and it was one of the better Mondays I've spent in some time, a very fruitful time, and a good bit of the reason for that fruitfulness is this conversation you're about to hear with Roger O'Neill. Roger is a great musician. He's a great man beyond that. I truly believe he loves the Lord and is doing a great work at Cedarville University. He has uh, brought that worship program um, up to a level that is respected nationwide. And I appreciate his heart. I appreciate that he shared the question of the week with his students and got some wonderful feedback from what this next generation of worshipers is saying is missing from our congregations. And I think pastors and lay people both, we need to listen up. If you're looking at what kinds of things the next generation holds important and what kind of things that they're seeing is missing from our worship, listen closely to this conversation today. You may be surprised by the answers. They're not looking for a gymnasium. They're not looking for more rock and roll music. They're not looking for better lighting. They're not looking for uh, more fantastic audio-visual. They're not looking for a better sound system. They're looking for some things that are simple and may surprise you. And I think you need to pay attention to this today on this episode of Voices in My Head. Thank you again for Roger O'Neill being with me, and here is our conversation. My guest today on Voices in My Head is Dr. Roger O'Neill. Roger serves as the director of the worship program at Cedarville University. He's served the local church for over 20 years, including full-time worship pastorates in Texas, California, and Oklahoma. Dr. O'Neill has published articles on church music and leadership, blogs on worshipblogger.com, and is active as a worship leader, conference presenter, and worship consultant. Dr. Roger O'Neill, thank you for being my guest on Voices in My Head today. Great to be here with you. That was the most scripted part of the show right there. Was, All right. was the introduction for you. Sounds <laughs> there. great. So we're actually sitting, uh, we don't always get to do this live in uh, the setting where where the conversation happens. A lot of times we're over Skype or things like that. But I'm actually at Cedarville today, and I'm sitting here in Roger's office, and it's very nice. There's a piano over there in the corner. It looks like some guitars and things. So... Uh, what's what's your instrument of choice? Yeah. I'm a vocalist by vocalist? training. No, so, okay. yeah, through, Great. Through college did that and conducting too. Excellent. I'm kind of jack of all trades, master of none. Okay. So <laughs> enough to get me in trouble on lots of different instruments. Yeah. Very good. Well, thanks for uh, taking some time and, and sitting down to talk today. I want to highlight something before we get to question of the week or anything else. Um, Cedarville University has been doing some great things in the field of worship. And I know a lot of our listeners read Worship Leader Magazine. And um, they are among Worship Leader Magazine's 2012 editor's picks. And uh, that for a university, that's a high honor, actually, for a worship leader to point that out because they are... Really, I think global. It's not just U.S. I mean, they they do a lot with uh, you know obviously stuff coming out of Australia, all the Hillsong stuff. So for them to pick you guys, and you being director of the music program and worship, that's pretty awesome. So. It, it was a big honor. We didn't yeah. expect it, but uh, something we worked really hard at and uh, was exciting to to see that that recognized. Yeah, that's great. And this has been a good year for the podcast because I've worship leader. It's funny how it overlaps with my podcast sometimes because we've had Phil C on this year from Worship Leader Magazine. We had Eddie Kirkland on, and in their uh, editor's pick issue, the same one that highlighted you guys, 
Um, I didn't know this at the time I interviewed Eddie, but they picked three of their 15 songs of the best worship songs of the year, three of them Eddie wrote. And so mm -hmm. it was like, yeah. we keep having all this overlap with worship leaders. So yeah, it's pretty, great. It's pretty sure. amazing to do that. So, well, congratulations to you guys. We're going to get into uh, some of the things that Cedarville is doing because I find as a worship leader myself, I'm always looking for kind of advice and help. And I know in the local church, I feel like that's the heart of what Cedarville is here for. But before we get any further, uh, one of the listener favorites is question of the week. And I, I told you before it can go from, from silly to the super serious. And so it's a little bit more serious question this week. And the question was, what's the most important thing, of course, as you see it, um, missing from worship today? And so I'm interested to hear what you what comes to mind. And you can take as much time as you want on this. And then, okay. Uh, yeah, that, a fantastic question, one I'm, I'm kind of passionate about. Mm -hmm. I think we are in a situation that we need another worship reformation. When you mm -hmm. think about what happened prior to Martin Luther um, and some some things that I think we're doing well in worship, some things that really excite me about the field of worship right now. Mm -hmm. But in many ways, I think we are due for a reformation, mm -hmm. uh, some things that are transforming worship. So I think specifically some things that are missing from worship services today, and I, the tricky part about your question is to get it out of one. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, you know, because I think there are a lot of things missing from worship today, and I I actually took a couple minutes in class to ask my students oh, this wow. question just awesome. to see what they would say, and I had some really interesting responses. Uh, the first student piped up and said uh, that they thought scripture was missing from our worship service today. Oh, wow, that was a very interesting answer to say. You know, the Word of God needs to be more present in our worship service today. Mm. I thought that was a very intriguing answer. Uh, another one I thought was very interesting was, was we lack understanding. Hmm. You know, the Bible commands us to sing with understanding. Sure. And I think, you know, even sometimes that I've asked some of the students, to, what, what's this song about? It's mm. like, uh, well, it's kind of about this. And, yeah. and yet sometimes we sing songs that we really don't understand what they're about. Sure. Um, another student said passion. Hmm. So passion is missing yeah. in our worship service today. I think that's one of my top three. If I, I, I narrowed it down to three. Yeah. Uh, the last one that, that popped up was obedience. Obedience hmm. in our worship services today. And I, that oh. one kind of resounds with some of the things that I have as my top three. Yeah. And, and I had trouble really getting down to three because hmm. I think there, there are a lot. Um, I, the top three that I picked were, were this, and I'll end with, I think, the one that's perhaps the most important. Okay. Uh, for me, I think the manifest presence of God is missing in our service today. Hmm. George Barna notes in a, in a relatively recent survey that he did on worship that one-third of Christian adults who regularly attend worship services, so these are regular church-going mm -hmm. people, people in our, in our pews every week, one-third said they had never experienced the presence of God. Wow. Now, obviously, that should be happening in individuals' lives, but I think it needs to be happening in a corporate setting. Yeah. That when you, we gather together, we should feel the presence of God. I mean, mm -hmm. Jesus in Matthew you know, 18, 20 said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. Hmm. So there is something about, you know, God's omnipresent. Obviously, he's everywhere all the time. Sure. But I think there is the promised presence of God that when we're gathered in his name, he'll be there with us. Hmm. But um, I think there is a difference between God's promised presence and his manifest presence, when we really feel his presence and mm -hmm. acknowledge uh, his presence with us. And A.W. Tozier actually had a great quote. I'll just read it for you real quick. Sure. He said, the presence and the manifestation of the presence are not the same. 
There can be one without the other. God is here when we are wholly unaware of it. He is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. On our part, there must be surrender to the Spirit of God, for his work is to show us this Father and the Son. If we cooperate with him in loving obedience, God will manifest himself to us, and this manifestation will be the difference between a nominal Christian life and the life radiant with the light of his face. That's from Pursuit of God. Hmm. I think it's just great. I, I think, again, it's a very... When we think about you know worship, it is worship in spirit and in truth. It's kind of hard to quantify what does it mean the manifest presence of God. Yeah. But I think when we have experienced God on, on whether it's our own individual quiet times or our worship experiences, it, it's it's awesome when we feel God's presence present with us. And uh, he has a lot to say there, you know, about obedience and cooperating with sure. the Spirit of God. I think sometimes we just kind of, our worship things, um, our worship experiences and worship services are kind of our own agenda mm-hmm. rather than, than what God may have for us yeah. on any given time. So I think his manifest presence is something I think is missing in our services today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second thing I would say out of my top three would be emotion. And that kind of resounds with what our, you know, a student said, a passion is missing. Mm-hmm. Um, we visited a church this past weekend. It's always interesting to go. And one of the things my own children said was, it didn't look like they were into it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> you, like I say, you don't want to be critical. I don't want to raise little worship critics. Sure, yeah. and, and they're around me enough that we talk about services and things. And, and yet one of the things they noticed was that the people on the stage didn't seem to be into it. And I would agree. It seemed that, um, you know, it was just kind of going through the motions. And I think... So, so they were referring specifically to people on the platform that on, were leading. Yeah, okay. on the platform. All right, not just the people in the pews. No, it was the people on the platform okay. just seemed to be disconnected and not very passionate about what they were doing. Wow. And, you know, I, I thought it was an interesting observation because I noticed the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think whether you're on the platform or, or in the pew, I think um, somehow we check our emotions at the door. Mm-hmm. You know, if we were to watch your favorite football team and they score a touchdown, we're like, yeah! You know, we, <laughs> and yet we talk about Jesus and his salvation. It becomes so commonplace that we don't hmm. celebrate anymore. Hmm. And to, to, to think about some of these things and to, to read the Bible vividly and to imagine the story that you're in the story mm-hmm. to um, to uh, somehow we just check our emotions at the door. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the Psalms are replete with emotion, mm-hmm. you know, the highs and the lows. Sure. And sometimes we, how are you doing? Great. Well, no, we're not doing great. Yeah. You know, <laughs> life's hard and yeah. things, things are rough sometimes. And we get so, uh, you know, inauthentic, I think, sometimes. And, and that's kind of where I want to end up a little bit. But I think we do leave emotion out. Yeah. Um, and, and lastly, I think what, what is probably, um, for me, the most uh, thing that's missing the most from our services today would, would be authentic worship. Hmm. I think the generation that I work with here at Cedarville, uh, this Gen Y generation, is probably the most attuned to authenticity. Yeah. 
they they want authentic worship. They sense when you're not authentic, mm-hmm. so it's hard to fake it, you know, around yeah. this generation of college students because they, their their antennas up for it. Yeah. They want to see real the real deal. They have a fake detector. They do. <laughs> <That's right>. They <laughs> do. And I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, um, to be to be real, and you know, part of uh, emotion is to uh, uh, authenticity is to be emotional. Part of authenticity is to be real. Maybe sure. we are having a bad day. Maybe a third of our congregation has been laid off. Maybe mm-hmm. there's been a death. And, and, and we don't mourn together. We don't laugh together. We don't cry together. There, there are times that we are inauthentic, I think, just because we, we do check our emotions. Mm-hmm. But in terms of you know authentic worship, it's not just about the emotional part. It's, sure. it's worship and in spirit and in truth. And that's where I think the student that suggested obedience comes into play. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when, when we look at that, worshiping in spirit and truth, you know, I think there are three different biblical definitions of worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, we can worship the right God, either the wrong way or the right way, and that results in false worship. Mm-hmm. And I think false worship is also much more prevalent than we'd like to think. Yeah. Yeah, I blogged on that a couple of weeks ago that uh, I used to think, you know, vain worship would be the most possible thing but I think really false worship yeah. because when we worship the wrong God yeah. um, we're not worshiping authentically we're not yeah. worshiping in spirit and in truth and we don't have Buddhas but you know right. in our houses those of you evangelicals but we anything that we put in front of God is really an idol yeah so I think we worship inauthentically because we often worship the wrong God, hmm. even with sincerity. And I think it's also possible to worship the right God the wrong way. Hmm. And I think that results in vain worship. Very true. Yeah. And Jesus talked about the Pharisees. You know, you, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Hmm. I think that's also a possibility. Yeah. So there's so many ways to, to mess up. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. to, when we think about worshiping in spirit and in truth, uh, it's only that when we worship the right God in the right way. Do we worship in spirit and in truth? And I, I, uh, it's interesting right now. Um, I'm preparing to, uh, in about three weeks, I'm going to be speaking um, at a teen retreat that's coming up. And um, the whole focus of the weekend is prayer. So it's like four messages. And when you mentioned that, it, something kind of resonated with what I've been studying lately because um, I've been studying scriptural prayer and what that means. And uh, I, I went to the Book of Common Prayer and part of my effort just to, you know, say, hey, what's a real good definition of what prayer is? And I found it very interesting um, that prayer, which I think we can tie so closely to worship, is um, if, I, if I'm not misquoting the definition of prayer, it's our response to God um, in thoughts and deeds with or without words, hmm. which is interesting that, that prayer we so often spend on um on talking but a response and so one thing that I pointed out was like wow there is a sinful way of praying and there is a godly way of praying and and because uh, when it talks about Christian prayer in the book of common prayer it's talking about a way of praying that conforms our will to his mm-hmm. and I thought about you know isn't it interesting that we could be sinful prayers or even sinful worshipers when our focus is not to conform our wills to his, mm-hmm. but to actually let's try to conform his will to ours, you know, and let's make this all about us when we come into this worship gathering. And gets into your point about obedience. And mm-hmm. well, even yesterday at my 
the church that I, I'm part-time worship leader at my church, and we have two services on Sunday at First Church of the Nazarene. And in the first service yesterday morning, we had just one of those rare moments where the pastor didn't get to preach because um, there was a, people just started spontaneously kind of moving towards the altar, you know, it was just, they needed time to pray, and, and uh, a lady had sung a special, and it was the first time that she had sung since her husband passed away about a year ago, and, hmm. and it was just one of those moments that people just needed to respond, and it was, one, and it, but it's so rare sometimes, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't, I can't remember the last time that that's happened, because we're, we can be very regimented about, well, the bulletin says do this, and hit this yeah. point, and hit that next one. And I'm okay with that because I think I think God does work in our order, but at the same time, I really love that we can be obedient and that we can also have some space and allow, you know, because ultimately that's why we're there is we want God to be able sure. to have his way and move. And that's part of the manifest presence of God. God's it, doing something here today. Exactly. The Spirit is prompting people to do something, and let's acknowledge that yeah. and go with it. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I don't know, you'd probably agree with this as a, a worship leader that, our job is often to remind people. Um, it, it's who did I? I can't even remember who I heard say this once. But our job is not necessarily to bring the presence of God down, but to remind our people the presence of God is here. You know mm-hmm. that it is in this place, and that God wants to do something. And it gets back to what we were talking about beforehand. Are we going to show up for it? You know, are we going to open ourselves up to this? very real presence so good stuff can we uh, i have a lot of stuff i wanted to talk about but some of the student responses were good but oh you had something yeah great else to uh, yeah. just a comment about that just briefly about prayer I, I think i would add prayer missing from our services oh okay yeah uh you know when jesus talked about you know his house it, it was to be a house of prayer mm-hmm. we've turned it into house of worship yeah and there's certainly nothing wrong with worship but in terms of the way jesus saw it and certainly mm-hmm. Our worship can be prayer. Sure. Our songs can be prayer. But I think a prayer is a neglected aspect of our corporate worship. Mm. And, and it's easy to, to not do that. And we have functional prayers. Sure. You know, I think functional prayers to get the service started, but it's also time, okay, now we can sneak from, you know, one place to the other right. on the stage when everybody's eyes are closed. You know, and let's pray before the offering to get the ushers up. I mean, there, there are things mm-hmm. that, that make sense. On the other hand, when we relegate prayer to a functional aspect, which I think we often do, I think we're missing a vital element of what yeah. worship and what Jesus intended to, to be. Uh, I think we missed something there. And I think if we're honest, you know, sometimes prayer in the church is about on the same level as prayer before a ball game. You know, I mean, right. it's like, like you said, it's this functional thing, like, well, we do it, or before the potluck, let's pray, but are we really, <laughs> sometimes I wonder, are we really praying when we're praying, you know, right. or, are we engaged or, um, or prayer time will often be, you know, one person doing a sermon with their eyes shut, you know, and they're not really, <laughs> we're yeah. not really focusing on God as much as point one, Lord, do this because the Bible says this, and, we, and it's kind of interesting how our prayers sometimes work out, yeah. but... That's a that's a good one though. I wonder how often authentic real prayer is happening. But yeah, um, I'd love to talk about because one thing I want to talk about today is actually the students here because I'm very interested in especially as I get older and feel like I'm losing more touch with the younger generation. And I'm not super old. I'm 35, but at the same time, that's a that's a far cry from you know college age or teenage. 
So I'm interested in some of their responses. Can we go back and just maybe touch on a few of those? Cause yeah, I, absolutely. I, I'm really interested in what they said. What was the first one that you said students? Yeah, the first to? one was scripture. Okay, and that's, that's very interesting because um, one thing I'm finding in a lot of my study is a lot of younger people are drawn to a more liturgical style of worship because there's been a lack of scripture and even um, some of the... Um, maybe more liturgical type praying that they aren't you know, used to hearing. So mm-hmm. that's very interesting. Um, I, I'm, I'm surprised oftentimes we're always trying to make things real trendy and modern. And sometimes what I think a lot of younger people want is like, can we hear the Bible? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, was, I do a, uh, I lead worship just about every summer for a Presbyterian camp in West Virginia. And um, I am, am amazed at the way that their young people are trained to read Scripture. And at almost every service we have, um, usually a speaker will ask one of the teens to come up and read a passage. And um, it's, like, it's like nowhere else that I'm ever at when I hear young people or even adults read Scripture because they've been so well trained in it. It's very interesting that that's there. But... Um, but did they have any other insights other than just scripture that they were? Yeah, the about? second one was understanding, which okay. I thought was also interesting too. Yeah, that it's so easy to, to just go through the the motions, mm-hmm. you know, and push play. You know, when we do our worship time, sure, and without really engaging mentally, you know, in the song, hmm. as well as some lyric that might be dubious or yeah. a little unclear what the meaning right. is and how is how does it tie to scripture? What is our response mm-hmm. as a result of a particular song? Um, it could also be a factor in there too, I think. Yeah. Well, uh, what immediately came to my mind when you said understanding, and I think about songs that we lead, and this is actually a scripture reference, but when you think of like, come thou fount of every blessing, here I raise my Ebenezer. And I'm wondering, you know, how many people don't have any other reference of Ebenezer other than the Scrooge story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, are we lifting up Scrooge? Here I raise my Ebenezer. Yeah. And, and it's actually, you know, like, have we ever stopped to describe this is the stone of help, the Ebenezer from Scripture, and it's yeah. really this altar, you know, type moment. But Yeah, I had a class of 15 last year. Uh-huh. One out of 15 knew what it meant. Is that right? And <laughs> I had answers from a beer mug, <laughs> which was hey let's toast to That's toast right. to God a good Irish worship uh, yeah you know? <laughs> uh, what uh, another yeah. one was uh, like a Moses staff yeah. they thought mo- the staff of Moses was oh, named okay. Ebenezer and yeah. so uh, among these are our worship students sure. that there's uh, a little bit of biblically uh, li- literacy yeah. enough to not know what that means right. so one out, one out of fifteen I think knew okay. last year uh, and uh, got some interesting answers so yeah I think there's certainly scriptural mm-hmm. references and things interesting. Uh, words from hymns that we may not understand. Yeah. that may or may not take the time to explain yeah. but when we certainly gloss over a lot of things and something as prominent as Ebenezer and yeah. that particular song which our students gravitate toward that song mm-hmm. like the song sure but when we don't know what the Ebenezer is and and, and there is a lot of um, a lot of church speak in church and I'm and I'm all for it I think it's fine I think it's okay to have a common language of you know and to, and to teach it but I think part of the time we don't teach it you know I think part right. of the time it's just wrote and one thing I've I've been struggling with lately is um, in our second service which is a real contemporary service we have a lot of younger people that tend to come in and I always kind of want to make that a more teaching service like mm-hmm. when we started we went we started with the Apostles Creed you know it was something we did together every week because most of them weren't familiar with it, you know, like this was something that we knew. So that's interesting that they said understanding was something that was kind of from their 
point sure. of view too. So, and what, what, I'm sorry. What and we, we've been doing some study too on Colossians three sixteen. Mm-hmm. They were to teach and admonish with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, sure. if there's going to be teaching going on, there mm-hmm. needs to be understanding on the part yeah. of the student. We also uh, did a passage out of Nehemiah, I believe it was chapter eight, mm-hmm. and the Levites. One of their jobs was to make sure that the people understood the message. Mm-hmm. And so I think there is this understanding part that we need to help. And mm. some of that's, uh, you know, I think maybe we do need to teach a little bit more than we do, be more intentional, certainly. And, and sometimes, you know, and even if we follow Jesus' model with parables and stuff, sometimes we need to pe- teach people to start asking the questions, you know. Like, I, I always feel like when Jesus would answer a question, almost always, ironically, except when he's talking about prayer, because um, he's pretty specific when somebody asks, this is how you should pray, do this. But a lot of other times when they, when people ask Jesus questions, he'll answer it with a question, you know, sure. and, and he starts making them. And, and maybe part of our job as worship leaders is even to help people begin to ask the right questions and help them to seek out, you know, sure. their heart and, and not always just spoon feed it to them. You know, yeah. it's an interesting thing. So. Yeah, I think we, we do need to make our congregations think. Yeah. Because it's easy not to think. Again, we check our emotions at the door. We check our brains at the door. Yeah, definitely. And to make them think. I had a student ask me, oh, that was a great question. What's the difference between a worship leader and a worship DJ? Mm. <laughs> and it's like, what is the difference? Wow. How does just someone who picks songs to play right one right after the next, how does it differ? And that is a great question. That is a good question. And for me, you know, our job is to prompt. Our job is to facilitate. Our job is to teach. And it needs to be done succinctly so we don't mm-hmm. overtake a preaching job. But sure. I think that, you know, part of that is is to make people connect with the song, make them, you know, think uh, before they sing. Sure. So I thought it was a, it was a very broad yeah. uh, thing, but it's really good. Yeah. Uh, the next one was passion. Passion, Okay. I spoke to that just a little bit on motion, but I think this is a generation of students that's passionate. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're they're very zealous. Mm-hmm. They're very where's hell? Give me a water pistol, mm-hmm. you know. Let's yeah. go get it. <laughs> and we're you know we it's easy to get kind of jaded. Oh, you can't take hell with a water pistol. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it is our and this you know how's how's we how we relate to Generation Y is. Um, we need to encourage that passion mm-hmm. and catch some of it, frankly, probably. Yeah. Uh, so it's always, youth you do tend to be passionate, but I think this generation is particularly good about that. And, and what was the last thing? The last one was obedience. Wow. And for me, that kind of ties into that authentic worship. Yeah. You know, my definition of worship has obedience in it. Yeah. It's responding to the godness of God with words of praise and a lifestyle of obedience. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just overlook that obedience issue yeah you know because we don't want to own up to it very true um well that's great and it's funny all those actually kind of interconnect too because you know our our scripture and our understanding um passion is really good but passion without understanding is a very dangerous thing too yeah you know and and obedience without understanding what um, what we're being called to do is very interesting, but all those really link up together well. Well, I'm impressed. They came up with some good answers. They there. did, and on the fly. This is the great. first time we've ever spent this long on, on question of the week being inspired. Oh, okay. by so it must have been a good question. I there guess, you go. That was a great that. question. <laughs> um, well, I want to talk, you know, a little bit about worship leading today, and uh, in order to do that, could you describe maybe just some of your past as a worship leader and kind of um, maybe your experience and and maybe something that was kind of an influence on you and your style of worship leading because there's definitely a lot of different 
ways that people do, you know, uh, sure. things like that. So Yeah, I grew up as a Southern Baptist uh, preacher's kid. Okay. So I grew up. I'm a Nazarene a, preacher's kid. There you so go. There you go. <laughs> grew up teething on a 1956 Baptist hymnal. You know? and, uh, mom's an organist. Dad was a worship leader at one point. He's a pastor, but I led worship too. So I grew up okay. in kind of a musical home with a lot of musical influence. Sure. Um, kind of, I went on to school, studied music uh, theory and composition. Mm-hmm. Uh, went on t- uh, to study graduate school, music theory and composition. It's like when you get out of school, what do you do if you don't have a job? You go to more school. <laughs> right. So I ended up with a PhD. Get more debt. Yeah, <laughs> just keep on going. And that's, uh, I'm, I'm educated far beyond my intellect. Yeah. Um, I'm fairly certain some of my friends, their goal was just to keep taking out loans until they die and don't have to pay them back. Oh, there you, you go. Know? Yeah, stay, stay in school. Yeah. So, Fortunately, you try to flip that at some right, point exactly. where they pay you to stay in school as kind of the model. But, right. uh, yeah, I finally got that to work, and so that was a good thing. Good. So, no, in terms of, you know, ministry and, and musical influence, I, I didn't really want to fall into the ministry, you know, having grown up in the, mm-hmm. as a pastor's son. So it wasn't I ran from it, just didn't want to do that just because it was easy. Yeah. And I was working at a church— um, when I was working on my doctorate and um, kind of uh, had I'd done work in church all along the way in college and, and, and their undergrad and graduate school too. But it was in the, in the context of that church as I was called to the ministry. And mm-hmm. so I was finishing my doctorate going, okay, God, why am I finishing my doctorate if I, I'm called to ministry mm-hmm. and just kind of slugged it out and uh, turned a three-year sure. program into seven and finally got her done. And But but really felt ministry was where God wanted me to be. And, you know, when you start doing it and going, this this feels right. This mm-hmm. is what God's coming to do. Everybody's call is slightly different. Um, so was there for uh, seven years. Told him I'd be there for three while mm-hmm. I finished my doctorate. But God yeah. just blessed, and we had a great, great ministry there. Um, spent time out in California. Helped the church start out there. It was not overly... Um, an awesome ministry time. It's kind of our desert experience, oh, but okay. it was great to be out there uh, because, you know, in California, you just see lots of different kinds of cutting edge things that are going on sure. there. Um, that was a great experience in a lot of ways, and God taught us a lot. Uh, from there, we ended up in Oklahoma wow. and uh, served a church out there for a while, and then I mm-hmm. taught at a school in Virginia before coming here to Cedarville. So in terms of influence, kind of been coast to coast, um, seen a lot of different things, churches that are in big church urban settings, seen church starts in California, Mm -hmm. rural church settings. So had a plethora of experience. And God just kind of, you look back over your life and go, God gave me lots of different kinds of experiences just to help people who, Mm. uh, that'll be launching out to lots of different kind of ministry experiences. So, yeah. Excellent. Now, let me ask you this, because I think anybody who's done much worship leading at all has experienced this. Um, did, you, did you take any lumps as a worship leader, so to speak? Any, um, any pitfalls maybe you fell into? that um, I can think of a few mistakes I've made along the way um, leading worship. Because I, I think when we're talking about worship and how to do it better, sometimes it helps to discuss some of the things that we've been like, whoops, I shouldn't have done that, you know, or anything. Was there anything like that that especially maybe in your early time leading worship that um, does anything come to mind popping yeah mind? there's a lots of different um, we could chase the take the lumps yeah. uh, <laughs> those are wounds inflicted by other people right uh, other lumps are self-inflicted wounds right. so I'll, I'll touch on both briefly yeah sure. I think you know in the worship ministry we all take lumps mm-hmm. you know uh, it's a difficult job because 
uh, however many people in your church, those people think they're all your boss at some point right. because they all have opinions and preferences about music. And so I think we all have lumps in people's names that I remember um, <laughs> who uh, hurt me inadvertently or not. Um, in fact, we have a guest speaker in class on Wednesday, and one of the questions, we just look randomly through the questions, one of them is, what, what is worship leading cost you and oh. your family? I'm like, oh, that's a great question. Yeah, uh, it, It's hard. It, you are a very visible person. You're open to criticism because you are visible. Um, like I say, people have opinions, mm-hmm. whether they're in the ministry or not in the ministry. Uh, it's hard. Um, a California experience was very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. The people that we worked with, um, I think probably had some serious issues and brought those issues to work with them and uh, it, we ended up leaving without a place to go oh, wow. so it was a place that that guide those self those um, others inflicted wounds sometimes overlap with the self-inflicted wounds yeah. too God used those uh, those difficult what we call our desert years mm-hmm. to, to teach me personally about pride sure. um, so those you know was God was working in my life to teach me pride but that was self-inflicted mm-hmm. too because I, I am someone who I think we as all musicians have yeah. pride as probably our number one pets in Uh, oh yeah uh, so God works on our pride and I went from getting my PhD to opening boxes for a living you know it's just one of those things of okay God you've taught me a lot through this and can we learn the lesson and move on you know so I think there's just a plethora of of lessons I think probably those are my big ones uh, would be those dealing with criticism are those that are others that inflict upon you and how to deal with those graciously and then uh personal just lessons of, of pride making sure we keep our pride in check yeah well I think it, it's very hard because uh, like you just said we're when it comes to um, maybe our, our craft of worship leading or sometimes it's our instrument one one thing I had to learn pretty quick when I was starting to work with other people in leading worship was um, especially with instrumentalists like we people who play our instrument is our ego you know and so sometimes when somebody attacks our instrument it's like they're attacking us to our very core oh absolutely. and and I think I had to learn a lot of times when uh, the people that we serve and work with when they'll say an unthoughtful comment that they literally did not mean it to hurt as much as it did you know like it was (laughs) almost like um, because I'm a guitar player I mean I play piano too but the guitar has always been my main one and when I first started leading worship, I mean, there was almost, um, especially here in Ohio, uh, at the church I'm at, and I've been there uh, 11 years next month now, so it's, it's, it's worked out. It's been okay, but, um, like, there was a, a group of people that really were, like, anti-guitar for whatever reason, okay. and, and they wanted only someone that would stand behind and, and direct and wave with the arms and whatever, and so um, oftentimes there would be comments about that guitar you know or whatever and be like what's wrong with the guitar i'm singing songs to god you know or doing things like that or um i can think of my own my own self-inflicted wounds sometimes you know as even um being impatient with people from the platform Mm -hmm. and i I remember one time i always i always regret saying this but we were singing a song and it just looked like people were just you know how they get that frumpy look and it seems like everybody in the congregation is frowning Mm -hmm. and i basically 
I mean, I, I forget how I worded it, but I, in essence, told them they looked like they didn't love Jesus, you know, and uh-huh. it was <laughs> it was like the way I said it. I maybe it was not wrong in what I said, but it was like the way you say it sometimes, and right. you kind of have to go back and be like, I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> sorry, everybody. So, um, but yeah, learning to, learning to listen and wait and be patient, I think, is a is a very difficult thing to work, learn as a worship leader sometimes. Sure. And, and I think even when churches are trying, you know, you mentioned earlier that you think worship needs a reformation. And um, I think with our styles of music, you know, sometimes people think that they're um, actually talking about worship, but in reality they're talking about a style that they like. Exactly. And as generations change, um, not that we want to chase after every trend, but I always look at music as a way of communicating, mm-hmm. and it's like a language. And um, some people just don't speak that particular language; it doesn't, you know, speak to them. And we can have, you know, a certain crowd at our church. Um, you you sing something from a Gaither Homecoming video, and it's like they're, you know, they might as well be in the presence of Jesus with Him right there, perfect. And and the same room, you'll have somebody else that's like, "This is awful." Right. <laughs> I can't oh, yeah. imagine. And I'll. I'll um, not to spend so much time talking about myself, but it just reminded me of this. I remember one time um, a little old lady, you know, looked at as one of our saints, and she's passed away since. But I remember um, we were singing the Lord's Prayer, and it was Tommy Walker's version, which was, you know, a newer, Mm -hmm. to me, much more easy flowing. And I had, you know, like probably 15 people come up to me and be like, man, I've been singing the Lord's Prayer all week because, you know, it's just so, it, it's gotten in my mind and in my heart. And this little lady one Sunday came up and, and, and wanted to see me and said, you know that song we've been singing? And I expected her to say, say, oh, it's been great. Thanks for leading that. She said, I hate that song. Like, just got real bitter about it and everything. And I, was, and I said, you hate the Lord's Prayer? Yes. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you know? So uh, it, it can be difficult. You're right. Yeah, it's very definitely. difficult. So you have to learn sometimes to to be discerning and how we respond. Yeah. 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 So, um, well, you know, teaching people to worship is one thing. And you have this very interesting challenge here at the university because you're not just um, coming to lead worship, but you're actually getting to teach people who are getting to teach other people. So it's almost like you're training people to train people, you know, in, in how to worship God. So, um, what are you know, and and you're working with this generation uh, Y, which a lot of our listeners are almost unfamiliar with. Probably they probably you know moved on beyond that point and are still thinking that youth and and what's cool is you know what was happening 20 years ago when they were young and cool, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, what are some of the the unique things you find as is now as a person who is working to train young worship leaders. Are there some unique things that stand out to you that you're finding you deal with that's maybe unique to this generation? Yeah, I think so. They, they, they have a lot of challenges, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, you know, there, there are things about them that um, are not appealing, but I think there are all the things that are, that are a lot appealing. Mm-hmm. I think they are very open. Um, and like I say, I think we have our own definition of what's cool and we cram that down their throat and they're not buying it. Right. When you think about how many of this generation are leaving our churches, mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is because they have seen organized religion. They don't want a lot of part of it. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, they are very loyal. 
They're very open to family. There, there's a lot of very, very positive things going on. They are passionate. The challenge is how do we help channel that passion? Sure. How do we help them stay connected to the church? How do we help them stay, uh, you know, strong in their faith? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we make sure that we are Jesus and, and uh, address some of the things that they see that are important, even social concerns to them? For for them, one of their big the passionate things around here is is the social injustice from sex trafficking to clean water. Mm-hmm. There's a great um, thrust of these students to help meet some of the social justice things mm-hmm. in our in our world. And, and so many times we kind of get callous to that. Yeah. Oh, we can't help everybody, so let's don't help anybody. You yeah. know. And yet you see a lot of times in biblically. Um, you know, it's uh, true worship's caring for widows and orphans. Mm-hmm. And so we forget sometimes that social component Definitely. because we've seen the social component without the gospel. Yeah. But why can't we do both and do yeah. it well? And so they bring a lot to the table, and I think they challenge me mm-hmm. to stay young and fresh. So, you know, as far as how do we help lead the leaders, you yeah. know, um, I, I think we need to continually keep uh, truth out there because mm-hmm. I think they their generation is swayed by um current thought of the yeah, day sure um uh, yeah we need to do it in a very authentic and loving way because they don't respond if we don't yeah yeah well yeah and i love that about uh this younger generation is they want to be doers you know yeah want to and social justice is is a huge call i mean you can read it in all the literature of the day and everything and it's something that older members of, of our congregations don't understand. And it, and it almost smacks up, you know, that sounds like Democrats, you know, or, or whatever, right. you know. And it's like, no, this isn't a, this isn't a partisan issue we're talking about. This is the Bible, right. you know. And so it's very interesting. I think in some ways they're holding uh, the church's feet to the fire in some of the ways we've been neglectful. I, I think I grew up in a church, well, not a church, but a, a, a feeling sometimes that you know, caring for the poor in missions was about if you were going to read the missionary book that month, you know, and it's like, make sure you read this. And I, I always wonder sometimes, like, is this really doing much good just to make us read missionary books? Like, should we right. <laughs> should we actually be a part of this in some ways? Right. So, yeah. That's very interesting. And, and I'm interested to find this out, too, because obviously we're in a, um, a time when social networking and mobile phones and, um, you know, iPads and iPods, I mean, everything is just so prevalent everywhere we go. I can't imagine how much of a challenge that must be as a teacher um, to kind of deal with that in a classroom setting. I've heard of teachers even um, coming in with a basket at the beginning of class and saying, okay, all phones and stuff that go in here right now because we're focusing on this. How, how impressed are um, the kids of this generation by the technology we used in worship or or maybe how not impressed are they i guess i'm wondering because it seems like every church when they want to be cutting edge they want to put more things up on the screen and different lighting and things like that but i'm just curious as to what your perception about them and what they think of of all this yeah i don't think they're impressed at all right (laughs) i i think that they're um they're unimpressed when we try to do something that's we think is impressive. Mm. All right, so let's, hey, let's do all these new lights. They're like, oh, okay. Mm. You know, we may be more impressed than with it than they are. Right. It doesn't mean they don't, aren't intrigued by it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't impress them because they, right. they live in that. You know, like I say, they live with technology around them all the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I actually don't allow cell phones mm-hmm. out. I don't allow computers out taking notes. Mm-hmm. I make them use just old notebooks. Mm-hmm. Why? Because 
they're going to be on Facebook updating their status just yeah. because, and, and they can. Uh-huh. They literally can because they do multitask or at least they give a little bit of attention to everything. Sure. And so I say if you don't have your computer out, you're not fully here. Yeah. If you're checking your cell phone and your text, you're not fully here. So I'm just kind of old school that way. But yeah, to answer your question specifically, I, I don't think they, they really do get over um, impressed by it. In mm-hmm. fact, for me, a lot of the times the students, when they'll do worship projects, they'll do um, solid black with white text on the front. Hmm. I'm like, well, you guys could use a motion back or, yeah. you know, you could use this, you know, cool nature background. No, we just want it simple. Yeah. So for everything, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Yeah. And for us to, oh, wow, we've got those new motion backs, like, yeah, who cares? Yeah. That's, that's, you know, they actually, in some aesthetic ways, are pushing back from that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. I think it was a Relevant Magazine that had an article. Can't think of the lady's name right now, but she says in the article that, uh, you know, people are surprised that since I like Mumford and Sons and listen to my iPod and stuff, that I actually, when I go to church, I want to be away from all that. You know, yeah. that, that I want to, I want to disconnect so that I can connect with God. And uh, I thought, yeah, that is a challenge because even I at times, and I don't, I don't even have an iPhone or anything like that, but I do, um, you know, have capacity on my phone to check email or whatever. And a few times, even during service for me, something, you know, my phone will vibrate or something, and uh, and I'm tempted, you know, and have succumbed a couple times to look at my <laughs> my phone and see what's going on with that. Um, but man, what a unique challenge for a day. And I I think we might all learn something. Um, about reaching out maybe to young people if we could just learn to disconnect a little bit from some of all this technology. Cause, yeah. Because, you know, really when you think about it, and I, and I don't know if it's quite as true as it is for even the next generation coming up, but a lot of these kids, you know, it's like they're born with a remote control in their hand, you know. Right. And, and um, kids that are six years old can sometimes operate a computer better than I can. You know, they'll come in and figure out how to fix things. So it's something they're not they're not really impressed with and right and getting back to the authenticity thing right um that's a beautiful thing i i'm interested to see what the shape of worship is going to be in 20 years in our church because right, right now it's almost a um i don't want to say a concert setting because i really even though it has the trappings sometimes with the lights and and the screens and things like that, it can almost look like a concert. Yeah. But I think in some ways there's a lot more connecting going on than there has been in, in certain ways. But it'll be interesting in the next 20 years for me to see and to look at these things like, are we going to go back to a, you know, we've talked about needing more scripture in church and is it going to look more, um, are we going to be chanting in church and, you know, sure. <laughs> all the guitars are going to be put away and we're just going to be, you know, singing with our voices. and uh, Drag the organs it. off the mothballs. Exactly. And, you know, are we mothballs gonna... and do that again. Yeah, I, that's a great question. I, I think, um, you know, you think about how long we've had praise bands mm-hmm. with the same instrumentation. Yeah. A long time. Mm-hmm. Is it going to stay the same way? Yeah, I yeah. think the future is going to be the worship kazoo. I think the worship be, kazoo. You know, yeah. just, now, <laughs> just everybody humming. <laughs> you know, all <laughs> what what role do, does um, does songwriting play in the program here for worship? Do do they have any like songwriting or worship songwriting tracks at this time? Or um, we just don't wondering... at this time. Like okay. I say, our program is about five years old. It's okay. something we definitely want to expand. Uh, we have uh, offered for the last, uh, actually last year was the first year. We've talked about it for a while. It's yeah. taken a while to get off the ground. A songwriting competition. Mm. 
And so we had really good response last year to that. And what we do is we, it's only for our students at this point that we want students to write songs that are specifically for congregational use. Wow, that's great. It's not just, hey, let me write a song about my Christian experience or me going mm-hmm. through this trial. It needs to be a song that would connect with a congregation. Sure. We just want to foster that kind of... Uh, really our own Cedarville repertoire, if you will, of Mm -hmm. worship songs. And we've had some good success with that and uh, had a lot of good submissions last year. Uh, We hope to get those promoted through a national um, venues as well to be able to pitch, if you will, those to songwriting people that would help those students perhaps get more national exposure. So we have cash prizes for them and we also have judges of influence that help um, adjudicate that so it's mm-hmm. not just those of us that know these students and That's it's much great. more impartial that way so really good response to that we typically will have a songwriting uh, person or two through last year we had Babby Mason uh, Gateway Worship people were doing songwriting seminars so usually two big events a year yeah. specifically to encourage our students to write because they do love to write yeah. and there's some really good stuff that's coming out so we definitely want to foster that we don't have it in the curriculum yet per mm-hmm. se but it's one of those extracurricular things we're doing to foster we're having Mark Harris in the February of 2013. Awesome. Uh, Dove award-winning songwriter, he'll mm-hmm. be here. And all these things we open up to the public sure. just because we want to serve the church and people that have an interest in that. Yeah. And I've then been, the New Life people will be here in January, too. I was going to say, I've, I've appreciated the couple times that I've been able to be here, like um, when Lincoln Brewster came in and yeah. did the little seminar on sure, Saturday Lincoln. and stuff. He was great. Um, Keith Getty. Was Keith here. Getty. Yeah, that's yeah. we had lunch with Keith a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I, I actually... Uh, Got to sing on one of the Getty's DVDs with them. When the that the actually this one that's on your desk on there. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm on that. So somewhere that. in the background is great. my voice. But um, I, those are some top-notch songwriters, and yeah. it's, it's a really great um, uh, way. I I, I just want to say thank you because I've appreciated that about Cedarville, their openness to the community on those things. And when those guys have been here um, with just really I'd say probably about half I'm guessing is was local worship pastors and people like that that come in Um, it's been great to interact between the ministers and the students and I think it benefits both and even for the artists and writers themselves to they kind of just come in and serve when they do that they do a great job so um, I guess I'll say thanks we appreciate it so I I, uh, just want to encourage any of you that may be local um, to kind of keep an eye out on Cedarville's website and, and watch for what's coming up in the coming days because they do have um, more all the time. I, I have to say after five years of this program, um, that's awesome that you're you know getting you know recognition from places like Worship Leader Magazine and stuff. Frankly, a lot of our Christian schools have kind of let the worship go to the wayside. So it's, it's great to see that Cedarville is trying to invigorate that and bring new life and good things like that. So thanks for all the work you're doing. You're welcome. Um, Before we run out of time here, I want to focus real quick on your blog because you have worshipblogger.com. That's your personal blog, right? Yes, that's my blog. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Roger actually has some really good articles on there, and I love to see the uh, students' responses. I think a lot of them must be Cedarville students that are responding to you, and they have some really good insights. So if you have a chance, go to worshipblogger.com and check out some of the things um, that are on there. And, And it a little while ago you talked about idol worship in church and there's actually a good article that you wrote about 
uh, idol worship. I was just reading, I think it was yesterday, I was kind of looking through some of your articles. Great. And um, it's great. So anything else that maybe you'd like to leave us with before we uh, we finish up today on Voices in My Head? No, it's great to, to chat with you and get to toss some ideas around. It's been encouraging me just to, to think through these questions myself because awesome. uh, some great questions. I think we do need to be always reforming our worship. Mm. You know, we need to constantly be intentional about what we do. Mm. And, uh, you know, training students, I, I try to do that here too, but just even as a practitioner of worship. Sure. Why do we do what we do? Is I think we need to continually ask yeah. ourselves that question. And I think our local churches need to ask that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's not, just, uh, it's not just the university's task, you know? Right. <laughs> so, uh, well, Roger, and uh, this is Roger O'Neill. If you just, you know, I, I this isn't radio. You've probably you had to download this to listen to it so anyway <laughs> roger o'neill has been my guest today thank you for being one of the voices in my head this week you're welcome well my thanks again to roger o'neill and the staff at cedarville university for allowing that interview i really enjoyed it i enjoyed what Roger's students had to say, and I hope that was beneficial to all of you. One last thing before I go, I just want to remind you, I'm planning on a live podcast on December 14th. It's a call-in show, and it's going to be at 9 o'clock p.m., Eastern Time, just trying to make sure everybody can be a part that wants to be a part of it. I will give you more information as to how to join. You can use your phone or you can call over Skype and you'll be put on a waiting list when that happens. But in order to do that, I need to know that you're interested. So either go to rickleejames.com, click on uh, information, contact information and send me an email. Tell me you're interested. Give me your contact information. Visit me at my Facebook page. Visit me by uh, just sending an email to rljames29 at yahoo.com again with your contact information and I will get out to you the information needed once I hear from you about how to be on that special call-in show celebrating 50 episodes of Voices in My Head well that's it for today so I'm going to go ahead and sign off I think I'm going to go cut my grass maybe for the last time this year because I hear snow might be in the forecast even though it feels like a nice summer day today well blessings to all of you and I look forward to next Next week when I get to share with you my conversation with author Matt Litton. Blessings. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.